Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. One, two, three, four. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning. I have to say before we start, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit out of breath because I just filmed a kick challenge like literally two minutes before we started and I was like, quick, finish it off. Oh, that's okay. Was, I'm a bit hard. out of breath as well, but I just walked up the stairs. Because <laughs> you're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. How are you? I'm all right. To be honest, I've been having the worst sleeps this week and it's been a busy week. So I'm a real, I'm real tired. <laughs> really yeah. tired but, um, it's like it's hit this point where I'm now waking up four to six times a night to wee. And it's not mm. always like a lot of wee. Most of the time he's just sitting on my bladder and like really uncomfortable. And then past like 4am, it's like impossible for me to fall back asleep. You know, I, I can fall asleep at night really quickly and really easily. And if I have to wake up, to wee or whatever I'm usually really good at falling back asleep but yeah for some reason lately if I'm waking up past 4am it's like my body's just ready to get up and so yeah I'm a bit frazzled this morning from that <laughs> oh <laughs> that's right it's what, I've got to get used to it so. how many weeks are you are you 34 um, on Monday yeah. yeah 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 I'm 30 yeah yeah good okay Yes, I am. I, I would hope I'd know that. But I was like, are you 33 or 30? Well, six weeks to go. I mean, if I you go the full weight. I know. And he doesn't we'll come see. out early because he's very busy in there bashing around. Oh, and at night <laughs> when I wake up, it's like... Yeah, exactly. How are you? I'm good. We had such a nice breakaway. It was so... When I say breakaway, I'm not talking about the chocolate bar. I mean break away <laughs> from, <laughs> from Melbourne. Uh, it was just it, weird to be overseas. Uh, overseas? Overseas. Oh, Probably like felt overseas. that way. I got on a plane, <laughs> flew for two hours, and I went to Queensland. And it was definitely interstate. And it was just lovely. Mm-hmm. It was a bizarre experience to be on a plane again. It was the first time I've been on a plane mm. since last year. Mm. I think since Feb last year and it was yeah it was just so nice to read a lot I haven't got into books enough last year I hadn't and I just got so into them and I nearly finished three which is a lot for me to read um that's awesome over five or six days however long I was there um but yeah it was really I just oh it was just heaven I really really enjoyed it so yeah I am I am very very good and now it's already the weekend so I know. I mean, right now it's Wednesday, though, and this podcast is coming out. <laughs> you know. Very good. Uh, yeah, I am. I, I'm good. And I think as well, we had our International Women's Day Live podcast panel this week and, well, last week, and it was just amazing. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. How good was it to see our community in real life, IRL? Yeah. Yeah, I'm cool. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> except I had a side part, which I was like, this makes me uncool, according to I have never heard Google. that. Y- yes, it's a thing. If you wear skinny jeans, you use the laughing emoji and you have a side part, I think I, Jen Zed think that you're uncool. I think that's, that's how it goes. So I'm very uncool. Um, but apart from that, aside from the side part, it was just such a beautiful night. And thank you so much to everyone who attended. Yeah, it was so nice. It was just really, really good to be able to see some of our community in person again. And it's kind of just like fueled the fire to like want to do so many more community events, you know, when it's possible to do so Um, and anything bigger as well. But it was actually really nice to start off with something quite intimate. It was Mm. it was so awesome. Um, So we hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as well. If you don't know what we're talking about, it was last week's podcast. It was our first ever live kick pod, which was actually quite nerve wracking, to be honest. I think. Like, we were shaking. Like. Yeah, fully. Like, Laura and I obviously have spoken a lot, in, um, you know, in front of people before, but we got in such a routine of it that it, it was fine. Whereas, and especially talking to our community, like we love talking to our community, but I think I got in my own head, not only because it had been so long, like over a year since we'd spoken in front of anyone, but also because in my head I was like, this is a podcast. And because it was such a quick turnaround, like... There wasn't a lot of time for editing and everything. And not that we really ever edit that much. We obviously keep it quite real, as you guys would know if you're listening every week. Um, but I just, for some reason, I got in my own head. I wrote myself bloody study cards, which 
like that I used to use in debating in high school and I have not <laughs> used cards for so long for a speech. So like, yeah, I was really, really nervous. Well, same. So we were both, we were both nervous. You, you can tell in the start, but we got, I mean, it's like, we were speaking about it. It's like anything, if you don't do something for a year, you, um, it gets hard and then you practice and then it gets easier. And also I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to everyone who bought a ticket. All of the money from the ticket proceeds was donated to Girls From Oz, which is a very special charity. So we thank you very much. And now it is time for your special share, our special mm-hmm. share. Steffi, what have you got? All right. I actually have a few recommendations, but I'm only going to stick with one this week. Um, thank you. So while you were away... <laughs> I was like, because this morning, I'm like, which one am I going to pick? Um, while you're away, over two days, I finished a whole se- season on Netflix. Oh, my God, um, I know what it is because I started Ginny it last and Georgia. night. And Did I'm you start obsessed? it? Yes. yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so it's called Ginny and Georgia. And I had a few people from our community actually message me and be like, you need to watch this. I feel like you're going to like it. So I watched it. And as I said, I couldn't turn it off. I literally watched it over two days. Um, it Obviously, there's definitely a warning. You know, there is – it's not as um, – full on is like 13 reasons why but there is you know some teen issues and um there is also like speaks of self-harm and everything throughout the season so I will put that disclaimer for anyone who's about to watch it um but uh, it is just it's just so I don't know what it is about it I love all the characters they're so Mm. full on and the mum I'm obsessed with Georgia um but I just really enjoyed the season and I believe there's going to be another one. I hope there's going to be another one because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was it actually, Dalton watched it with me last night too because I was. it was one of those shows, again, I think on Netflix sometimes the photos or the images they use to Doesn't, promote it yeah, yeah. didn't sell it to me. I'm like, this looks like, I, there's been a few shows on Netflix I've watched that are high school kind of shows yeah. and yeah. I um, don't, I'm like, oh, this is, seems, I don't know, just not, not for me. But when I started it, I was like, oh my God, I love this. I can't, well, actually my phone was dead. That's why I didn't text you. Otherwise I would have been like, thank you for this recommendation. It's fantastic. We watched two episodes. um, So I've still got eight to go. I'm excited. Um, Yeah. But yeah, thank you. Because you recommended that to me. I got a pre-recommendation and I'm very grateful. I, um, I like fell in love with the neighbor. (laughs) Oh, Max. The yeah. No, not Max. Max no, is no, the girl. No. Well, she's hot no. too, but the guy. Yeah. What's his name? <laughs> I don't know his name, um, but neighbor. Across is it the Marcus? Road. I think it's Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, like, gradually you get more and more into him. Well, I did anyway. <laughs> yeah. The bad anyway. boy. Well, I've only watched two episodes, so I'm not sure if he's still the bad boy by the end. <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> What's your special share? So, my special share this week, so I've got some books to share, but I'm not going to share them yet because I wanted to share something. Um, okay. I'm sure, have, we haven't spoken about this, but did you watch the Oprah and interview with Megan and Harry? Yes. Yep. So, How shocking has the backlash been? Yes. I mean, I actually, it's probably the most, uh, well, like, just the biggest interview like I reckon almost of our lifetime I mean obviously when Princess Diana had her interview we were probably too young to remember it but I can't remember a bigger interview from when we've been alive that's made a bigger impact it was just so big and I think um, one thing that I saw a lot of commentary obviously the racism that was reflected um, is just horrible but another thing Exactly right. Another thing that I that I saw, and I, I I saw a quote on Instagram. A lot of people shared it, which was really great. Um, obviously, Megan shared the fact that she thought about taking her own life. Um, I know what you're gonna say. And yeah, there was this this quote, and I, there's been so much commentary about the fact mm-hmm. that she was attention seeking, which I think is just horrific, and it is mm-hmm. so dangerous for mm-hmm. people who have had those thoughts, especially coming out of 2020. It's been such a hard time for so many people, um, and it is something that, especially because of social media, so like it is just it, it's so real for so many people, and the fact that when obviously as Megan said speaking up is the hardest thing and saying Mm -hmm. it out loud and facing it and the fact that she said it out loud she was obviously extremely vulnerable to to say that to the world to an interview that she knew that literally nearly everyone in the world will watch Mm -hmm. um and then the fact that people say that she was you know not 
she shouldn't have said it or she was attention seeking is, is just absolutely sickening. Or that it was like her best acting yet or something. Exactly yeah. right. Um, and so there was a the screenshot I have here is it says Megan isn't going to see you commenting that you don't believe she was suicidal but your friends who have been suicidal will and I think that is such a powerful statement Mm -hmm. to remember um, that anyone that obviously please contact Lifeline if if you need it they're always there but it is so important for everyone to know that if someone speaks up about it you need to, to help them you help them you have yeah. to take them seriously and yeah. we have to normal like it's okay to speak up about it it's not attention seeking because that can speaking up about it saves people's lives so yeah. yes I, I thought that was probably one of the most in, it was very disappointing that it, the yeah. reaction was like that but then I, I thought this was quite a powerful statement I'm not sure who said it completely completely agree i saw so many people share that quote and i just thought exactly the same i was like this is really powerful because hopefully so many people who might have been thinking you know judgmentally about it or whatever would have read that and it might have been a little bit eye-opening to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i agree and anyway i recommend watching it if anyone if yes, you if you totally. haven't watched it i'm sure you have you can watch it if you live in australia you can watch it on studio or not studio 10 on channel 10 on 10 play yeah that's 10 where play. i watched it i yeah. was on the plane yeah. when it aired i was so shattered i was like i need to know what's happening <laughs> yeah it was it was um it was really it was really i mean i want to say it was really good but it obviously wasn't really good as in like i no, hated a lot of what i she heard, got her voice back it was a great interview and now for this week's DNM. Thank you again for everyone who's been sending them through. If you don't know what we're talking about this season, we have been starting each kick pod with a bit of a discussion point. Um, really just kind of girl chat, <laughs> like DNM with your girlfriends. That's the kind of advice we're here for. Hopefully it's been helping some of you guys. We're trying to pick questions that come through that we feel a lot of people would be able to relate to. And the email that you can contact us on is podcast at keepitcleaner.com.au. So I I will read out today's question. I'm 25, almost 26 years old, and two days ago my boyfriend asked me if we could chat and he told me he feels our relationship has run its course. He said his feelings for me have changed and he loves and cares about me, but in a different kind of love now. We've had, we had only been seeing each other um, and no one else for four years and then officially kind of got together for three years, so seven years of being together. We're the best of friends and we met when we were 13 in school, so we've known each other for a very long time. He asked me to move in with him about seven months ago and I thought everything was going great, apart from the usual kind of feeling, you know, everything during lockdown at the moment. They're in Ireland. He wasn't able to tell me exactly why he's feeling this way, but he wanted to break up as he couldn't see me in his future. This was extremely hard for me to hear because it's what I've always imagined and I'm still so in love with him. We are each other's best friends. I know it's hard for him to adapt um, to us now not being together and I feel selfish to say it, but I can't help and feel it's harder for me as I had no idea this was coming. I guess I'm a bit lost right now and I'd love to know what you guys would advise or have, if you have any tips on what you would find be good to help me through this. I have been um, since been wondering why I'm not what he wants or who he sees in his future and I feel it feels like a huge rejection. I don't hate him and I never will. I respect he can't help if this is how he feels. It's just hard for me when I don't want the relationship to be over. Oh, first of all, I'm so sorry. That is just heartbreak is the one of the worst pains in the whole world, especially when you've been together for that long. Yeah, and it's like your first love, you know? It's like your high school romance. I can totally, oh, I really feel for you. And I I feel like I've had so many friends in similar positions um, with, you know, different stories and different endings as well to this. You know, I've had friends who got together super, super young, were with each other all of high school, stayed together for a few years after high school um, and then broke up. But then now they're back together. Um, And I don't want to put, you know, the wrong idea in your head because everyone is different because I've also had friends who have never got back together with their high school sweetheart. Mm. But it is kind of a hard time because you grow so much. Like between the age of 13 and, say, 25, you change so much as a person and not not so much as, like, your, your soul being, but, like, your interests and your passions and all that sort of stuff can change so much. So... 
I think it's quite, sadly, it's quite common for Mm. high school relationships and and high school loves to kind of fall out. And it's got nothing to do with either of you doing anything wrong by each other. It's just that, you know, yeah, you're almost better as friends now because you're going in different paths or different directions. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it is the growth. I think that's just so important to point out that growth, sorry, especially between 18 and... Mm. 23 like I found personally um I went through a breakup through that time and you when you meet when you're younger you're you know you might you you go to the same school you know you're in the Mm. same classes you're in the same friendship groups and then you leave school and there's this whole world outside of school where you know you you might go to uni you go and get a job you meet all these new people you discover things about yourself you didn't know and I think that is such often in relationships you are you know, you thought you well, you were on the same path, and then you decide mm. that actually no, that's a compl- that's not the path that you're on now. So mm. I think it is so normal for unfortunately for breakups to happen around that time. And I think as well, what helps me through a breakup, and I know everyone's different, but not talking it, it can be really hard if you're really close friends because you're going to continue to be reminded of them and obviously mm. their friends, like they want to be in the friend zone with you, mm. but you you know, are used to hugging them and loving them and, and all those things. So if it helps, it might be good to take some space from each other to be able to enable you to kind of get over, help get over it, I suppose. And I think as well, time heals everything. It's very hard at the start. And I know that's the most annoying advice to hear, <laughs> but it is honestly true. Time makes everything better. And then I think as well, um, I would say, don't worry about why you he decided that you weren't yeah. for him anymore. That is out of your control. You c- we can't do anything about how others perceive us or think of us. Or, you know, he might have gone through something internally and you, you can't, like, uh, I suppose, let your self-esteem or how you feel about yourself be affected by that because it is completely mm. out of your control. And enjoy 100%. being single. Being 25 yeah. and single is bloody awesome. Like, just enjoy yeah. it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a time to put yourself first and you should celebrate that. And, yeah, and enjoy it a hundred percent I think um I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there Laws and I I really hope because there is so much we can try and say to make you feel better and at this time you probably just you know nothing you hear will make you feel very good but it is time heals all wounds and Mm. you know it might come to a point soon where you actually realize in yourself as well that whilst you absolutely still love him and you know had had no issues with him or being in a relationship with him that it was the right thing to do you might I don't know start some new path and that you really enjoy and it's got nothing to do with dating you don't have to meet another person to move on from someone but you something might happen in your life where you're like this wouldn't have happened you know if I was kind of still stuck in that kind of train so um yeah I think just be patient and I hope you have some friends and stuff around you that can keep you company and keep you distracted Mm -hmm. um but absolutely don't blame yourself for this this is a super common thing um for people to fall out of a relationship especially a high school one at this age and um you're absolutely not alone and if you're in our community I highly recommend reaching out I've seen so many so many beautiful women you know reach out when they're feeling lonely or that they've gone through a breakup and there's always such beautiful messages um in return so if you need some encouragement or positive reinforcement our community is always there for you I love that um, advice obviously don't love the situation because it sucks and sending all of our love to you and now for today's podcast mm. today's podcast is all about intuitive eating which we have done an episode on episode episode <laughs> episode episode on before um, and today we have got the incredible Liv Morrison who is mm. a dietitian to chat about it she has got an amazing perspective on intuitive eating so much wisdom to share we hope that you enjoy this well welcome Liv to the kickpod how are you I'm good how are you guys very good on this Monday morning. I feel like we're a little bit frazzled at this at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like hot, cold. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, we're very excited for today's chat and we know the community is too. Obviously, we are talking about intuitive eating today and I think we should probably just start with what is it? What is intuitive eating? I know. It's got, it used to confuse me a lot actually um, because there's a few different things that do get 
quite commonly misinterpreted or just kind of pushed mm. together as well. So intuitive eating specifically is like the, just a non-diet approach is in other words as well. So it's just connecting to your body cues, respecting hunger, respecting fullness and getting back in touch with what you actually feel like eating. In other words, um, it's not necessarily restrictive and dieting or anything like that. There's no meal plans involved, calorie counting, like no foods restricted at all. It's just, what do you feel like? When do you feel like it? How much do you feel like? And respecting when to stop and when to eat. It's really kind of like flexible in my idea of it. Yeah. And it sounds very, very simple when you put it like that. But I think, I mean, as we all know, and I'm sure so many people listening, it's actually so much harder, um, I suppose, to say than to actually do it in practice. So for someone that might I mean personally with myself I've I now am able to eat intuitively but it's taken me a very long time to get Mm. to this point so for anyone wanting to start implementing it I mean it is such a healthy relationship to have with food if you are intuitively eating which is fantastic but for anyone that's kind of not at that place yet where do you recommend starting just starting (laughs) honestly it took me probably four years to properly realize I've got it Mm. like just I know that sounds like a really long time but practice makes perfect to be Mm. honest um there is aspects of mindful eating techniques that's really really helpful as well so I'll go through some of those as well that can really help out but they are a little bit different so often they get quite confused um but to start I would just start checking in with how your body's feeling like it sounds really obvious and simple but often with diet culture and just chronic restriction we don't do that regularly Mm. we're not really checking in and being like, am I actually hungry or am I just eating because it's lunchtime or because it's there or because someone else is eating and they've offered it? And when you start thinking about it quite logically in like, what is my body asking for? What does it feel like? And how much do I feel like? Just simple questions like that to start. It can be really, really helpful because it just kind of puts the wheels in motion Mm. And then after that, it is a lot of practice and you're kind of meant to stuff it up a fair bit to learn from it. And that's what I say to all of my patients. I'm like, it's not something you're just going to tomorrow be perfectly portioning Mm. and knowing exactly what you're doing. You're meant to kind of, you know, get a little bit too hungry and be like, oh, that's how it feels for me. Or overeating is a huge part of it, actually. It's completely normal. And being Mm. like, that was too much because it should change every day, every situation, every snack, every meal, technically, which is sounds pretty scary for people because we are so used to being like, this is perfect and that's not good enough and this is how much you should eat. And that's a big aspect, which is quite overwhelming for a lot of people and quite like kind of stuffs it up a little bit. It's the opposite of intuitive eating when you're eating in a amount or what you think you should be eating, but it's not actually what your body might be asking for. Mm. So it's just kind of unlearning all of those things, which it, it does take a bit. It is ingrained in us. It's completely normal. It's in everywhere you look, basically, and everywhere else on social media at the moment is just food talk and what you should be doing and what's normal. Mm. Often what you think is normal is actually restriction and maybe not normal. Mm. So it's a learning what's normal for you in that said moment, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a lot of people who struggle to tune in to their own body and their own mind and and work out kind of even those simple things like when they're full and everything like that. So you mentioned just then that you have just a few tips maybe um, for people who are trying to be a little bit more in tune. Do you mind sharing those tips to be a bit more mindful when they're eating? Yeah, yeah. So the the intuitive side of things is more about like, what am I hungry? Like Mm -hmm. those questions before, Mm -hmm. um, what do I feel like? side of things whereas the things that help you which is different you can mm-hmm. technically do them separately mm-hmm. um but usually just go hand in hand together and they get quite confused is mindful eating techniques and they help you understand where your body's at and that kind of portion control side of things am i hungry am i thirsty how much do i need what do i feel like when to stop um and those techniques are really why they're important in intuitive eating is because it allows us to switch kind of nervous systems from the sympathetic nervous system, which is like, get up, get going, what's, what we're in most of the time. That actually shuts down our digestive tract 
our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest nervous system. So mindful eating techniques help us push into that digestive system, which allows us to kind of recognize hunger and fullness a lot better and just enjoy food, bring back enjoyment. So they would be, my, my first one would be just sit down to eat. Mm. Yeah, like Because <laughs> when you're walking around, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your brain is more concerned with what's probably going to kill you, um, <laughs> which sounds really like dramatic and yeah (laughs) but truthfully your brain's whole purpose is just to let you survive or make you survive so it's more concerned with you running into the bench than it is what you're putting in your mouth so as soon as you sit down it kind of helps you have that shift um that's really important so eating out of the fridge standing you know eating while distracted is another one as well even if you're watching tv it can kind of find that quite stressful as well um so yeah sitting down to eat and kind of turning off distractions my other one would be slow it down um, slow down the, the, the pace that you're eating. And that sounds really simple, but it is quite difficult to nail mm. because we get distracted, we start enjoying it, we eat quicker. And um, my big tip for that is just put cutlery out of your hands between bites. Like often I'll see someone, or I even see myself doing it, I'll have like a big bowl of like porridge or something and I'll have another spoon ready to go and I haven't even finished my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so I put it out of your hands and it really helps down. Slow it down. Yeah. Oh, they're great um, tips. What else do I like doing? I think they're, the one, they're my main ones. Yeah. And I've heard someone saying to, to try and like make sure that that's your focus at that time. I mean, as well as like stopping and sitting and slowing it down, maybe try not to watch the TV at the same time and all those kind of little tips as well because you kind of get distracted and you just eat without even looking at what you're eating and before you know it you've had probably more than you might have tried to even serve yourself or whatever I know I'm guilty of that for sure many times absolutely (laughs) because it makes sense as well like it is a hard thing to do because you might have like just dinner where you really can enjoy and you've got what an hour, two hours by yourself, or you've got kids and you're running around and that's like your enjoyment time, but you've also got to eat. So you want to watch something. And I mm. get that that's yeah. can be difficult and not feel as good, but I mean, it is really useful in the sense of like knowing what your body's doing. It's really hard to do that and listen to those cues when you're quite distracted and your mind's on something else and concentrating. So yeah, absolutely massive part of it. Um, mm. But my other one as well is like eating from a plate or a bowl instead of out of a packet is a huge one too. So your brain can visually see the food coming in. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part of getting those satiety signals and understanding them as well. So, yeah, tr- yeah. I, I don't know how many times I've had like a big packet of Cobb's popcorn. I'm like, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely, absolutely can relate. And what about when those things happen? Like, you know, um, you might eat something that you necessarily didn't really set out to eat or, um, you know, just the guilt around food. I think a lot of people, definitely a lot of people in our community always bring it up. You know, how do they start to kind of remove that guilt? They really don't want to feel that guilt around food anymore. How, how, like, what are your tips around that? Yeah. Well, food is food. Yeah. And when you're hungry, you've got to satisfy hunger. You've got to be fed. And that's a huge part of intuitive eating as well is understanding that like there's no good and bad food. It's just really what you're feeling like at the time. Um, it is normal to feel guilt around food and shame around mm. food to an extent as well. And generally we only really overeat in private because it can be shameful. So um, one thing I have learned from my binge eating clients, diagnosable binge eating clients, is that it's always alone and that's really when the guilt can, can set in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but to kind of help out with it it's just practice makes perfect and it's a lot of thought to be honest you do with that side of things with when we're talking about intuitive eating and mindfulness it's really really beneficial to be working with the dietitian around it because mm. often it's a lot of practice but in saying that allowing yourself food and not having any restriction really removes guilt but the other side of things as well is that true real hunger, physical hunger, usually if you are eating in response to hunger, which is what intuitive eating is about, um, you shouldn't necessarily have guilt regardless of you eating a whole block of chocolate mm-hmm. or a row of chocolate. If you're real, really hungry, there shouldn't be that kind of hormonal switch if you've unlearnt those kind of food beliefs as well. So it's a bit of unlearning. but And that's the thing that I find is the hardest for people. But guilt associated with food is generally when we're eating out of psychological hunger which is 
completely different. And often that's after a really big period of restriction. So what can really help out with reducing overeating or binge eating in itself or eating foods that you don't kind of classify as healthy and want to be a part of your diet as much is making sure you're feeding yourself enough, Mm. you know, earlier in the day. Because when we are restricting foods specifically, they become more shiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to eat them more. We're like just big kids with toys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say like, get off the couch and all they're going to want to do is get on, play on the couch. <laughs> so if you, if you just allow yourself it and often a big tip as well is going for single serve. So you're not having a huge packet of it available. Mm-hmm. So it's there, you can allow it and you're not allowing yourself to overdo it. And while you're learning that you can kind of trust yourself around these foods, But yeah, that is a huge aspect of intuitive eating is allowing your body to have trust around those foods. And at the start, when you're trying, it is completely normal to overeat in those foods as well, because that's part of the learning experience. I think, but um, yeah, sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say, I I think as well for me, I have quite a healthy relationship with food now and I haven't always, but I will still overeat. Like, you know, and I think it's so important to be okay with that. Like, I don't feel guilty and I'm so like proud of myself that I've got to that point where I don't feel guilty with food. But I mean, even a, a few nights ago, I, my partner and I went out for dinner and we ate so much that we couldn't move and we had to lie down outside, like in a park, like obviously not just on the floor. <laughs> if anyone's picturing it for half an hour because we were so full because we just ate too fast and we ate way too much but I think it, even though I have a really healthy relationship with food I still did that because I was like we've bought all this food at this restaurant like we have to eat it all you know <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's important I'm to remember yeah and it, like even with sometimes I'll eat a whole block of chocolate which obviously is not a healthy portion size (laughs) but that's okay and I think it's so important for anyone listening that is trying to eat more intuitively to know that I don't think anyone has a perfect diet where they never overeat Mm. absolutely overeating is like a completely uh, physiological coping mechanism from restriction yeah however that may be so if you're restricting at some stage you you will overeat Mm. it's completely normal it's just for survival you know, because we're not genetically built to be losing weight. We're built as scavengers. Um, so it does, we do have a completely different like hormonal switch, but also we've got the reward pathway in the brain called the hedonic pathway. And that really does switch on around certain types of foods that are really palatable and, you know, energy dense and they taste really good. But yeah, it's good to remember that a massive aspect of intuitive eating is actually the enjoyment of food. So if you're out for dinner, and you're trying to restrict the food and eat these perfect portions, and but you're bloody enjoying it and there's leftovers. I'm like, go and eat it. Like, mm. That's a massive part. Um, it's just to allowing yourself and being okay with it. And it's it would be incredibly unusual for, for me to see someone that would never binge eat or overeat. I, would, I don't think I've ever met anyone <laughs> that doesn't do that, myself included. I do it all the time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is totally about normalising those... Um, those moments like you spoke of laws and you know if you've got friends over or you're watching movies and stuff like that I probably eat more chocolate in that time than I did all week but that's fine um and I think it when you when you said when you were talking about your clients that you've seen with binge eating um all the stuff around shame and everything around food and and doing it in private it literally like took me right back to my experience with binge eating years ago when I was in New York and it's so true because the times when I felt the most guilty because I'd eaten the most food and ignored, you know, all signs in my body that I was full and continued to serve myself food was when I was alone in my apartment. It wasn't when I was out with friends. Um, And I just found that so interesting because I think until you had said that out loud, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because it was something that I was really embarrassed about and that I didn't talk to anyone about for so long. And it it is something that you generally do do in private. Um, So anyway, I just thought I'd say that. (laughs) But (laughs) it just clicked. I was like, oh my God, I did that. Um, 
But yeah, I think the big thing for me when when I went through that was it was 100% stemmed from from being restrictive on myself. Like I binge ate, I suppose, on what we all classify as like healthy food. You know, I was re- I was so restrictive that um, I didn't have anything really processed or anything at all in my in my pantry or anything in that time. And even when I went out to eat, um, but it meant that I made this excuse up in my head that that meant I could eat as much of the healthy stuff as I wanted. <laughs> even though it made me feel sickly full. So it's um, it's interesting the kind of mind games you play on yourself sometimes when you're in those habits. Yeah, absolutely. And totally normal as well. Completely mm. normal. Like most people have that memory and have done had that experience as well. But it's, I guess the only way to like describe it is like, it's like kind of like fighting in public. Like it's just embarrassing when <laughs> you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> even everyone does it it's normal it's the same kind of thing like you you kind of in front of other people it's embarrassing or it's shameful and you're worried about their judgment not really what you're doing Mm. so when you're doing it alone there's none of that judgment or that Mm. kind of shame associated to it regardless of guilt they're completely different kind of feelings and emotions you can still feel guilt after you've done it alone but you don't have that shameful aspect of someone else watching you um so that's a big kind of area of helping out with overeating and binge eating is is to kind of stop doing and having those foods alone to kind of mm. exacerbate that as well can really help out with the guilt associated with overeating if you are noticing you're doing that. Mm. Um, it's a little bit of a tip. Yeah. And and with not doing it and showing it in public, I think it's so important for everyone to remember that, especially with social media. And that's why with Steph and I, we used to, with a lot of the media we do, we always get asked, what is your day on a plate? And we used to answer it, but over time we've kind of come to this realisation that it's actually not very helpful for anyone for us to be really answering that question and when we do it's like you know really changes every day and we'll have this or this or this (laughs) or you know it's, it's always super 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 vague because that's the kind of reality of what it is but I think it's just really really important to remember you know for anyone listening that the your if you see someone on social media posting their day on a plate of course if it is a dietitian like yourself Liv you are very trusted but (laughs) It's often with, you know, might be YouTube accounts that you follow or people that aren't necessarily trained or an expert in the area. They might share that their day on a plate is super restrictive and they only eat, you know, vegetables and fruit and, you know, very, very healthy, in quotation mark, foods. But you never actually know if that is what's going on and and I think because mm. no one really shares what they truly really eat those the people sharing it it can be it can make it super shameful for you and I think it's that's really one negative thing with social media it's created this this thing where you just share your perfect eating and when it's not perfect it, it is behind closed doors but then mm. when because it's so normal for everyone to you know every now and then overeat you then feel this immense shame because you just don't see it yeah absolutely that's exactly right that's why I don't personally do anything Mm. like that as well because if someone was to watch me for a week like (laughs) (laughs) they're like how many Chobani squeezy yogurts are you eating (laughs) between clients just constant um yeah it's just never going to be accurate it's never an accurate depiction Mm. and it's it's the exact same thing like when you put your day on a plate there is the shameful aspect because there's other eyes on you although they're not on you at that moment you are going to make educated decisions and certain decisions that aren't necessarily truth because you know people are going to check in on it. Yeah. So that's also why like photo diaries or food diaries and things like that kind of work for people from a weight loss perspective mm. and a dieting perspective because they know that someone's going to check in. Like when it's me, basically, sorry, <laughs> with my clients. But, um, you know, if they were just doing it for themselves, they might skew that mm. because no one would. So... Yeah, it's the exact same thing from my opinion with the day on the plate side of things. But, um, you know, it it could maybe have some helpful benefits for some people, I guess. But I don't know. A lot of the ones I've seen... Yeah, you just never know. And it's just, I think it's one of those things just to remember, like everything on social media, take it with a grain of salt and it's not always mm-hmm. 100% what's actually the person's real life. And with that, we had another fantastic question from a member of our community and I wanted to touch on the kick meal plan. So we have a meal plan in kick, but what, and Liv, you're a part of that, which is awesome. Um, and, and with our recipes, but with our meal plan on kick, the, the reason that it's there is not for people to have to follow it, you know, strictly because we do not, while we have a dietitian checking, you know, the calories of all the recipes, we don't present that on the app because we don't want 
that's when our focus on kick and the meal plan is really there as a guide for people that need ideas for healthy recipes and you know they don't know where to start to then once they've started realizing what recipes they like and learning how to cook and eat intuitively that's then when you can kind of you don't have to follow it as strictly obviously for some people they might want to but it's not a strict meal plan that you know you have to follow and you have to stay under mm. x amount of calories um, and, I, and I really I wanted to bring that up because I think that's really important because one of the questions was is intuitive eating another diet in disguise it's not technically no it, it is the anti-diet or it's tech it's other name for it is called the non-diet approach mm. so you could they're interchangeable um in research yeah so in terms of the meal plan side of things on, on kick, I support it because that's something I do with all of my clients mm. and with and it helps kind of push you into intuitive eating. So sometimes at the start with intuitive eating, because diet culture is so rampant and, and chronic dieting really undoes and kind of disassociates your understanding of hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Um, compa- if you think back to being children, children are the best indication of intuitive eating yeah uh i love seeing when i have kids come in because they will literally say to me i'm like why didn't you want that they're like oh, i'm not hungry mm. and it could be their favorite meal but they will know when to stop and you can't force feed a kid but through society meal timing school learning you know all of this stuff about food and what's right and what's wrong and it's all bs to be honest mm. um we unlearn that and mm. like that that it's just a natural thing that's ingrained in us. Truthfully, it's a, it's completely physiological. So with the meal plan side of things and with recipes as well, it can help out with at the start when you are quite confused. Sometimes you need a start. You just need to know what healthy eating is. Mm. And so often um, we can't go straight into intuitive eating when you're not sure about what to eat. And mm. it just gives you some really great ideas and having those three set meals a day can really help you start to understand hunger cues because it can help regulate your digestive tract to mm. regulate hunger and hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. So that is definitely something that can help facilitate intuitive eating. And yeah, exactly like you said, Laura, like as you go, you kind of let that go as you learn more about what you like and you start trusting your body more and knowing how that kind of feels for you. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree. There's definitely aspects of it. And that's why it does get really confusing um, because it's quite nuanced. And with intuitive eating, it's very individualized. It's more about you at that said moment rather than rules because there's really no rules, which is what scares people, I think. Mm. Yeah, but I love that because <laughs> it's all up to the individual, which I think is so important because I think for so long there's been this misconception on healthy eating um, you know, healthy eating in quotation marks and what that should look like. And everyone's healthy balance is totally different. One question that came up a lot, which I can relate to, because it was definitely something I struggled with, especially when I was coming out of my patterns of binge eating, but I'm sure it's exactly the same for those who also may restrict themselves from eating as well, is how not to think about food constantly. Like I remember back in the day, I would literally already know what I was having for breakfast, lunch and dinner the next day um, and like already be thinking about my snacks or like I'd be halfway through one meal and I'd already be thinking about the next one. Um, But it was just because my mind was so like concentrated at food on food at the time and was so restrictive. So I suppose, is there any tips you have on, I suppose, how not to think about food constantly? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Eat enough that's a massive one uh often we have like rumination or obsessive thoughts about food and we're constantly thinking about it it's often to do with restriction Mm -hmm. and also when you've got certain food rules as well a big part of not thinking about it often is is unlearning those so eating enough food is a massive one that's that's number one definitely that will really help out and then unlearning those food beliefs so um you know questioning all of it like why is bread bad because mm. from so an example would be something I do tell a lot of my clients I'm like well, one piece of bread how is that different to one banana mm. and don't take that as don't eat fruit <laughs> <laughs> but and then how is that different to a little Frodo frog like mm. once it's past your mouth sure there might be like a nutrient difference but truthfully in terms of like energy and how it's going to affect your body in the short term 
there's really not much difference at all, if any. Um, so unlearning and seeing like, well, that's all not that bad, you know, mm. it's all in moderation. But as soon as you kind of undo or unlearn some food beliefs that you've been taught that are quite unhealthy and restrictive, it can really help out with undoing the kind mm. of constant obsessive thoughts. Um, and also kind of just having enough food available, enough options available for you. So at that time that you can actually eat something that's satisfying for you as well. Um, so you might feel like if you take more snacks to work, you'll eat more of them. But in intuitive eating, you might find that that actually really helps satisfy you. So you actually eat less. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, sometimes a big part of it as well is a little bit of healthy weight gain. Mm -hmm. So that's something that does scare people especially in like our fat phobic mm. kind of society. And like, I do recognize that I know I've got thin privilege and um, you guys probably do as well, mm -hmm. but yeah, it is kind of scary when I do say that to people, but sometimes that overcorrection really does help out with your body, just trusting that you're going to feed it when it's mm -hmm. hungry. Mm -hmm. um, and with chronic dieting, it doesn't really trust that it's going you're going to feed it and with constant restriction and weight loss it actually increases hunger mm -hmm. and hunger hormones so at the starting phase might be seem scary and you might feel like you're constantly hungry and constantly like worried about that side of things but it is a completely normal aspect for a lot of people is that once they start they feel really hungry and then after a little bit of time appetite actually does normalize mm -hmm. and you do um do tend to go for really healthy food 90% of the time. That's what I see in all my intuitive eating clients. After a little period of time, they start doing it really, really well. Um, so don't be don't be afraid of that side of things. Is eating a little bit more, and eventually will kind of normalize, and it will it will go away, and it will help. Mm. Yeah, I, I when you said before how we are very fat phobic as a society, absolutely, and then how we might you might need to put on a tiny bit of weight to be able to eat more intuitively I think that's so important I mm. know back when I had a really bad relationship with food years quite a few years ago Kik has helped me so much to kind of overcome it but I remember I was obsessed with and I'd search it online all the time losing the last like two to three or five kilos and still to mm. be completely honest it's still something that I see in articles and in books and you know on tv and I think the the most horrible thing about the messaging how to lose the last three kilos the three kilos that won't budge they might not budge because you're not healthily meant to lose those three kilos yeah. and who told you that you needed to lose the last three did you just put a number in in your head and to lose them you might need to you know start eating like in huge calorie deficit and be super unhealthy and be restrictive and and then that means that to maintain that weight you have to restrict yourself for the rest of your life mm. mm -hmm. yeah I hate it mm. yeah because your body's got a perfect set point like yeah. it wants you to be healthy because its whole point is it doesn't really want you to be over overweight like properly mm -hmm. overweight and mm -hmm. obese but it doesn't want you to be underweight mm -hmm. it's got this beautiful mm -hmm. little like Middle ground. Five kilo-ish, depending on where you're starting, sometimes more, sometimes less, threshold of mm. what's healthy. And you should fluctuate between that. Like I've personally got like a 5.1 yeah. kilo flux, which is completely normal and I wouldn't ever think it was weight gain. Mm. Yeah. Water retention is rapid, especially if you're looking on the scales regularly too. There's so many things that affect it. It's just your relationship with gravity. So um, that last five, three to five kilo thing, yeah, it really gets me as well mm. because it's generally what not something that your body is willing to do and if you mm. do do it you can find that yes you'll f undo that relationship with food you'll undo those kind of internal body cues and understanding them and you'll probably find those obsessive thoughts come pretty rampant mm. back yeah yeah I'm the same as you guys I used to always kind of have that mindset laws of like like why can't I just get to that like next level of you know, what I, where, where mm. I want to be when I was in that unhealthy mindset. And um, I've still got so many friends who kind of still have that misinterpretation of like, you know, what looking healthy is. And they think that because of what society's kind of put out there, that there's like one picture of what a normal healthy weight range is. But the truth of the matter is because of all of our different genetics and lifestyles and everything, our healthy weight range, um, exactly what you're talking about, Liv, that threshold, I suppose. And for you, it's around five kilos that's different for everyone and I just like it needs to be louder for the people at the back because <laughs> it's still so misunderstood and I feel like um 
I'm really happy. I've got to a point where, you know, I feel like I'm in that that spot as well, where I feel like I'm in a really healthy, I mean, right now I'm pregnant, so it's a bit, <laughs> a bit different. But um, when I was, wasn't pregnant, the last couple of years, I've been in this really healthy state. And I'm really happy to be able to say that because, you know, years ago when I was 10 kilos lighter, um, I still thought that I had more to lose. Mm. And it turns out that when I was 10 kilos lighter, I was being quite unhealthy to myself and my body. Um, so it's not always about losing more or anything like that or getting skinny or anything like that. That, 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 that doesn't mean healthy. Yeah. And like BMI, what I hear really regularly is what weight should I be? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. We'll find out <laughs> when your body tells me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you tell me, like we'll just see. Um, is the BMI side of things. Like it is something that I will never use mm. and it should have never been used in health. It never was developed for it. It was developed for epidemiology studies back in like the 70s, I think. And it was really, it's really sexist and racist. Like mm. it shouldn't be used in anyone that's not a white male that's <laughs> the stereotype of height and weight. Um, because it's it, it doesn't make any logical sense. The fittest I was when I was, you know, an athlete and I was like 15 kilos heavier, I was just all muscle, was when I was technically overweight on BMI. Mm. <laughs> And I didn't have a, sh- like, you. I had no fat to pull or anything like that, but that really mentally got me. Mm. Um, and that's when it changed my depiction is when, you know, my sports trainers and stuff like that were doing BMI. Yeah, and they're like, oh, you're actually pushing into that, you know, overweight category, gosh. And I'm like, it's because I'm short and I've got muscle mm. that that really kind of set up some really unhealthy eating behaviours for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just different, you know, understanding of my own body and body image, which it, it really makes no sense. Now that I'm a dietitian and I've learned that, I'm like, yeah, this is really pretty crappy that we're still using that tool as a measure. And, um, yeah, I, 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 that really grinds my gears that it's still being used. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and back on, I suppose, eating itself, Um, It sounds like, you know, knowing when you're full or knowing when you're hungry is such an easy thing. It's obviously easier said than done. And um, one question that came up was how do you actually know, like, what are the kind of body cues that might happen? How do you know when you are getting full when you're eating? Yeah. Okay, great. So hunger, people can kind of understand that. It's like grumbly, growly, um, feeling kind of light in the stomach, but you shouldn't be at that, you know, you're really quite hungry. So you can rate it out of five you know, I guess five being starving and then three neutral, you could eat, you could not. And then one being like, you're actually quite full and yeah, overly full. You've just eaten kind of side of things. Um, so if you make like a little scale for yourself, you can start to kind of see that hunger side of things for you. But what really confused me is someone that has a lot of digestive issues, a lot of pain from IBS and intolerances, um, was that can kind of skew your understanding of what hunger is with pain. So um, some other signs of hunger can also be, which I think is kind of the later stage as well, but what I started out with learning, okay, I've got to catch it before that, was I'd be at my laptop and I would move my head and as soon as I'd move back I would get kind of blurred vision or a bit like, like yeah, I guess blurred vision or I'd get a little headache behind my eye a little mm. bit. Um, and I was like, okay, that's actually probably stage one or stage two but I don't feel it in my stomach as much back then before I kind of got that under control. So that's something that's really difficult if you have got a fair bit of pain, especially like PCOS or endometriosis around Mm. your periods or your cycle as well is included in that. So um, you can practice kind of does make perfect with that understanding of how it feels like for you, but often it's just kind of a light feeling. Some people make a bit of noise and that can be often your cue to eat. Um, Another one is for fullness what I often get people to kind of do which is around that 80% full mark um, because I think it's really not helpful for me to say I'll just stop when you're satisfied which Mm. is what a lot of journal articles or like research is kind of saying and that's the guidelines that were said is you know stop when you're feeling satisfied well how do you know that yeah (laughs) like I don't I don't know that Mm. (laughs) um so I, what I ask people to do is when you can feel food kind of drop into your stomach and 
that sounds really funny, but start to think about it because it should change per meal because every meal is different in weight and different in energy. And that's what your body's doing is based on. It's his own inbuilt calorie counter as well. Um, but you can feel kind of drop or you might notice a little bit of like bloating just naturally from eating because you've got more food in your stomach. That's when I would say like that's that fullness stage. You won't feel actually full then because your brain needs a bit of time to catch up with your stomach. Mm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It does. And um, to me, it's funny because I laugh. My partner, he inhales food. Like he eats so fast. Um, and sometimes he notices it. And I've told him for so many years, like, just slow down. <laughs> but he eats so, so fast that, like, um, he'll eat a lot before it hits his stomach. And then he'll think he's still hungry. So he'll keep going. And then all of a sudden it just hits him at once. And I'm like, I told you. <laughs> just <to> slow down. <laughs> But it makes yeah, sense. that's really normal. So we have got one more question for you, Liv, and that is what mindset do you recommend for those who overeat emotionally or when they are stressed, which I can, I am absolutely an emotional eater. I can vouch for that. Oh, chocolate. Chocolate is my thing when I'm stressed. I feel like food is something that I think because a lot of, I mean, a lot of people would associate food as a reward. And so mm. I think for me personally, when I'm super stressed or sad or feeling emotional, I will go to food because I think in my head it will make me feel better, which I think sometimes it does, but then often sometimes as well, I can then overeat and then it can make you feel even worse about your emotions. Oh, absolutely. Because then there's that, you know, guilt and shame yeah. that comes in for it as well that we talked about mm-hmm. before. Um, so unfortunately intuitive eating alone and mindfulness strategies they can be really helpful in the treatment like that's what the research is really on in in the treatment of um binge eating disorder specifically um and you know end stage you know recovery stage eating disorders in general but it doesn't do the work for you to unlearn those Mm. kind of stress-based eating side of things and emotional eating side of things so you still have to put the work in for those and start to learn how to have stress well stress management I guess is a massive part of it but um coping mechanisms that aren't to do with food so that's really easier said than done right I still go for my sour worms my chocolate (laughs) but there's a point of recognition so I guess at the start if you know often you don't know that you're doing it until you're in it so when you know that you're in it, something I get people to do is actually just go for a really long shower. Mm. Um, that can really help because often, I don't know, it might just be me, but I just think about everything in the shower and oh, yeah. <laughs> sitting with it is really important to sit with what's going on and what's wrong. Um, so I often recommend showers <laughs> at your home, which is a bit weird, but also walk and talks, mm. a big one, and exercise. So Walk and talks is basically, um, you know, calling someone that you love or that you would really like advice from. You don't even need to talk about what's stressing you out. Just even talking to someone in general causes an oxytocin release, which is our love hormone, and it reduces stress, which is great. Um, the other thing that's really important is exercise in the sense of, of emotional eating. It's a really huge important component of it because it goes in our addictive neural pathway. So... It's basically like why we crave certain foods, which are highly palatable. Everyone says, oh, I crave carbs or I crave sugar. I'm addicted to sugar. Um, It's actually nothing to do with carbohydrates that people struggle with. It's the combination of high fat and high sugar or high fat and high carbs. So it's chocolate, um, pastries, cakes, ice cream, hot chips, packet chips, carbonara pizza, all the yummy stuff, you know. (laughs) Uh, And there's a reason why we do overeat and we can overeat in those things is because when those two food groups are put together it overrides our natural ability to have you know appetite control um, regulation so it's kind of disassociates our brain from having it being controlled by the hypothalamus which is our control center and it pushes it into the reward center of our brain which is the hedonic center and it really reduces stress so those foods actually do reduce stress that's why we go for them that's why no one really when they're feeling emotional emotionally eats on unless they're Steph um (laughs) carrots and hummus (laughs) yeah but um that's not me anymore (laughs) (laughs) so it's really um you wouldn't necessarily crave that you Mm, might be craving something else and there's a reason like there's a really good reason for it and in this neural pathway there's also other things that are quite addictive Mm. um 
which is smoking and, and drugs and alcohol as well. But in that pathway, there's also exercise. And the reason why those things kind of end up wanting to go for them when we're feeling stressed, those foods, is because they cause a really big release of feel-good neurotransmitters or hormones. Dopamine, serotonin, and opioids. So opioids are in a lot of pain relief drugs like endone and codeine and morphine mm. or on in terms of an actual street drug, it'd be like heroin. So they're quite mm. addictive in nature. Dopamine is why we all love social media. Mm. So um, <laughs> it's really addictive. And when we get a release of those things, we feel good and it reduces stress or reduces the stress center of our brain, the amygdala. So it's completely, it's actually a physiological trait and completely normal in today's society because these foods are relative, readily available, sorry, um, to go for highly palatable foods and crave those specific things because they do actually cause a reduction in stress hormones mm. and f- increase in feel-good hormones. But exercise is really important because it not only does that and it helps out with that big influx of feel-good hormones, but it also weakens your kind of... Uh, habit or the habitual nature of going for food when you are feeling emotional because it naturally reduces cortisol and adrenaline our major stress hormones that Mm. so it's kind of stopping it in its tracks it's kind of helping out with not only when you feel stressed um exercise is important but it also helps out with the long-term stress management (laughs) so exercise however you want to do it whatever's enjoyable for you in however much you know this actually works within 10 minutes uh, is really important in emotional eating. Yeah. Love that. It's so, I mean, it is nice to hear that there's a reason why we crave those type of foods when, when we're stressed, I suppose. And it's so normal. So if you're listening and you thought that that wasn't normal or social media made you feel like it wasn't okay, it is completely normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this has just been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Liv, for sharing all of your wisdom with our community. I'm sure, well, I know, they will absolutely love this podcast. So we really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> appreciate it. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat. As always, we are back every Wednesday with a new KickPod, so you can stay tuned for next week's KickPod. <laughs> Um, we'll put all the information in our show notes of our special shares and lives information. And you can also catch us on Instagram at keep it cleaner at laura.henshaw at Steph Claire Smith. And if you'd like to learn more about keep it cleaner, you can head to our website, www.keepitcleaner.com.au. Bye guys. Bye.